It's Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. The Jazz wrap up a six-game road trip by notching their third consecutive victory, this time in dominating fashion as they sprint past the Cleveland Cavaliers, 117-87 Tuesday night. Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson pace the Jazz in the scoring department, and George Niang has a much-needed breakout shooting performance as the Jazz hit 24 three-point shots, continuing their elite team shooting. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press. Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites. Mitchell, catch and shoot, rhythm three. Conley, nice to the bucket upstairs for Gobert. Gobert comes up, provides a high screen on Dotson, creates some space for Mitchell, and that is all he needs. Back to a wide open Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich takes the inbounds pass, shuffles to O'Neal. O'Neal works on Oz and deals off to Conley. Conley at three. Mitchell splits a double as Dean Wade is checking for the first time. Mitchell to the bucket, missed the first shot, got it back and scored. Stride into the forecourt. Deal to Mitchell, long distance triple as Mitchell is feeling. Niang beats the shot clock and knocks down a long two. The Jazz will finish this game with 24 three-point makes, just one shy of a franchise record, which they set last Friday in Milwaukee. Welcome into Home Court Press Jazz Bites Edition. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined as always by our good friend, McCade Pearson. We're talking a jazz win last night over the depleted Cleveland Cavaliers, missing four of their five starters. McCade, what did you think of the game last night at first glance? 30-point wins are great. 24th made threes is great. Allowing less than 90 points is great. Great road trip. Really, really weird path to get to four and two on the road trip. Also weird the road trip's over. We'll talk about that a little bit, I'm sure. But nothing to complain about after a four and two road trip and a thirty point win before coming home to Salt Lake City. The big thing that stands out to me about last night is it's really easy for a team wrapping up a road trip, especially in a season like this where they're not able to go out at night and do the things that they would normally do when they're on the road. They're kind of stuck in their hotel rooms. They're really limited on food and things like that. So when you go into the final game of a long road trip against a depleted Cavs roster like they had last night, it's easy to let your guard down and end up going into a deficit and losing the game like that. And what was exciting is... The Cavs, I don't want to say they had a good start. I mean, they they ran with the Jazz for about the first eight minutes, and from that point on, the Jazz just pulled away steadily throughout the rest of the game. And it was great to see because that's what the best teams in the league need to do night after night is you can't lose to those bottom dwellers of the NBA. And the Jazz were able to, like you said, it was an odd route to 4-2 and two on this road trip, but exciting to see them get to the four wins. You know, The Washington game is postponed at this point. So before the trip, you and I talked about the Jazz needing four or five wins. At 4-2, and two, I'm really happy. I, I love to see the way the team is developing. And even when they've struggled like in, against Detroit, they still managed to come out with a win, and and that's what the most important thing is. Should we move on to some specifics? Yeah, let's roll. You want to start with Jordan Clarkson? Man, he's been terrific. I'm a Clarkson hater, and I will say that and openly admit it. I still have worries about a four-year contract, but this so far this season, he's just been lights out. His shot chart, amazing. Riley Gisman, I think he's pronounced Gisman, is doing some great work there on Twitter. But he just isn't missing the shots from anywhere, and he's taking a lot smarter shots than he was two years ago, even last year. He's shooting, I think, 44% from three. I'm not sure if that's 100% sustainable, but regardless, if it falls to 40 or even 38, like that's fantastic. He's active defensively. He's fourth on the Jazz in rebounds. 
um, behind the bigs and Royce O'Neal. So, like, that's really nice to come off the bench, having him attack the glass. Clarkson's just been everywhere, and, man, that's looking like at least a good trade. I think it's a good trade for both sides at this point, but a good trade for the Jazz game Clarkson last year as he makes his return to Cleveland last night. He's got to be the front runner for six man of the year at this point. I mean, he's nearly a 50-40-90 shooter. Last night, he was 8 of 14, 5 of 9 from 3, scores 21 points. You mentioned the rebounding. He had 8 boards last night to go along with 4 assists and 2 steals. And one of the question marks with Jordan Clarkson that's haunted him throughout his entire career has been, what does he bring you if he's not scoring? And we've seen this here from the Jazz. I mean, fourth on the team in rebounding from a guard Absolutely, I'll take that every time. And his shot chart is essentially perfect. If he's not taking a shot within five feet of the basket, he's shooting a three. And he's not even taking that many off-the-dribble threes. Most of them are catching shoots, and that's why I look at his three-point percentage at 44 45%. I think it probably comes back to earth a little bit, maybe drops down to 42 or 43 But these numbers seem real to me just because of the type of shots that he's getting. Yeah, no, um, he, as I said, fourth in rebounding. Him and Mike Conley lead the Jazz in steals. So he's doing these other things. His assist numbers still aren't great, but he's doing these other things that make him play well, as I said, especially defensively. Like, he's an average defender this year, which is a lot better than he's been in his career. And that's not only going to keep him on the court for 25, 30 minutes a game, but it's going to extend his career and it's going to make that four year contract worth it if he can keep this up over the next few years. It's just really, really nice things out of Clarkson. I think most of it's sustainable, as we said. I think some of it's not. We'll see what happens. And to answer your question about six-man-of-the-year favorites, he did become the six-man-of-the-year favorite last night, according to Vegas. He's down to plus 450. Um, Karis at plus 500. So oh, okay. kind of the two running away with it. Well on his path to possibly winning six-man-of-the-year. It's exciting. I don't think the Jazz, at least in my lifetime, they've never had a guy like this coming off of the bench. Thanks for tuning in today. It's Season 2 of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And please, if you like what you're hearing, remember to share, rate, and review so that we can expand our audience. Home Court Press can also be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter as well at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. And take note. Now, back to the show. And not just Jordan Clarkson. Let's shift to really just the three-headed monster of the guard line that the Jazz have right now with Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Jordan Clarkson. Last night, let's look at some of these numbers, McCade. 21 of 39 from the field, 13 of 22 from the three-point line. They combined for 60 points, 13 assists, 17 rebounds, four steals, and six turnovers. You don't love the six turnovers, but Conley and Mitchell only had one each. Four of those were from Clarkson. Here's my question, McCade. Is this the best three-man guard rotation in the league? You know, I think it might. I need to dive into it. I, um, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are awesome, but you don't love Javon Carter. CJ McCollum and Dame are awesome. I don't know who their third guard is, you'd say. So, I mean, there are other great duos around the league, but having Carson off the bench to be able to keep that up is really, really valuable. That's, of course, if the Jets still need a perimeter defender to kind of tie it all together for a deep playoff run. We'll see how that goes. Me only played last night and played fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is that path there where this is not only the best three-man 
guard rotation, but the best four-man guard rotation, the best six-man rotation, all of a sudden the best ten-man rotation, and all of a sudden you're the best team. So I do think this is a very, very good foundation of where our guard play is just so dominant and there's so many weapons there that it can lead to huge team success. And the style of play that the Jazz are using and employing night in and night out is perfectly suited for a dominant guard line like this. We, we saw twice on this road trip the Jazz break the franchise record, the previous franchise record for three-pointers made in a single game. Obviously 25 in the win against Milwaukee, 24 last night. Uh, the previous franchise record was 22. And frankly, as I watch this team, I expect them to break it several more times this year and possibly even look at breaking the NBA record of 27, maybe even getting to 30. Just they, when they play with the pace that they did last night and that they talk about wanting to, whether it's a make or a miss, you, you get the ball and you move it into the front court. And again, that doesn't mean that they're immediately trying to put a shot up, but they're getting into the front court and getting into their offense and getting into their actions. And a lot of defenses get lost on the jazz actions. And even though they're shooting 43s a game, it's stunning to me every time I watch a jazz game how often they get wide open looks. Teams know that's what they want to do, and they still can't defend it. Yeah, their three-point attempt rate is insane. And it's reminding me that's what Quinn wants to do all along. That's what they built this team for. And I've also I had a dream about the Jazz last night, like I often do, right? That's all I dream about is Jazz basketball. <laughs> but I think evaluating their pace is such a weird thing because of how much action they have offensively that they might take 20 seconds on a possession. But that doesn't mean they're not playing with pace. That just means they're using their time as they run around the court, but they're still going really fast and trying to get things done really fast. It's not necessarily the seven seconds or less Suns that run up and down the court and just take the first shot they get, but there is a lot of movement for the full 48 minutes. So I feel like the pace number can be a little twisted with the Jazz because it's always going to look lower than what they're actually doing um, with the eye test. So mm-hmm. just great job by Quinn getting this offense. This offense has gotten to flow a lot quicker than previous years. There's still some questions. You know, we're still only a dozen games in the season. We still have 60 games to go. But really, really great start by the Jazz offensively this year, and I think it's more than just three-point shooting. I agree. It's a lot more than three-point shooting. It's it's everything that they're doing on the offensive end. But I want to shift gears with you, McCade, here, and talk about the defense. It's something that we've had our eye on all season because it was the main reason, main thing that held them back last year. Consecutive games, the Jazz have held their opponents to 86 points against Detroit, 87 last night. They've got Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors controlling the paint, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Even though Rudy's struggling a little bit on this road trip, he's still a top-10 center when he's struggling. And then you've got Derek Favors as the backup, and Mia Oni got a little bit of time with Joe Ingles missing two games on this road trip. Oni has seen some more time in the rotation, and I really, really like his energy. I believe he blocked three shots last night. And he's just a high-energy, high-IQ defensive player, and it's a lot of fun to watch. One of his blocks was on a fast break, and he was the only Jazz man back. I didn't think he had a chance to really make a play on the ball unless he was going to foul. And he comes away with the block shot, and the Jazz are able to get two points on the other end out of it. That's the type of thing that we've talked about, the Jazz struggling to defend the best perimeter players for their opponents from game to game. If Mia Oni can play like this, this is the type of guy that we need. And I know you you wanted to talk about him getting playing time over Shaq Harrison as well, right? Yeah, so I think it's interesting that he's in the midst of the Shaq because I do think Shaq's the better player. But I also think it makes sense in the right call to play Oni a little bit more. A, he's just a little bit younger, a little bit more potential. And B, the thing with Shaq is if Shaq plays really well this season, he's not going to be affordable next season. He's not going to be on the Jazz. If Shaq plays like the minimum player this season, then, you know, whatever. 
But with Mione, you have him under contract this year and next year, so he's part of your future. And then he's a restricted free agent, so you can match any offer he gets if he decides to try and leave, all that fun stuff. So Mione is going to be here in all likelihood for the next half decade. So the more minutes you can get now, the more it's going to help your team not only this year, but for the rest of Donovan and Rudy's second contract. So I really like the decision to play Mione over Shaq. And he looked good. The two-for-four shooting number from three is great. You mentioned the three blocks. He just looks like an NBA defender. He does. To be. I don't, you know, he's not quite there yet. He's not going to play 20 minutes a game for you. But he definitely looks like he can be playing 10, 15 minutes here or there against certain matchups. And you really just need that perimeter defense to shut down whatever guards terrorizing our defense. One of the best things you can see as a fan of an NBA team is when you've got a developmental piece that can also compete to be in the rotation when you're attempting to fight for a championship. That's just a, a benefit that the Jazz have from this. Mia Oni is they are looking toward the future and developing him and what he can be in the next two or three years. Can he turn into a Royce O'Neal type of a diamond in the rough? But he's also, you're able to play him right now, and he can hold his own on the floor, and not only hold his own, he, he can be very effective. Two of four from three, can't be more excited about that because that's been one of the biggest question marks with him. We knew he could play defense, but can he stretch the floor enough to get those minutes, and, and we're seeing him do it. Now, Rudy Gobert, and McCade. The four, and, more, and just the four three-point attempts in 18 minutes is nice to see. You know, because you need these guys to get up shots. Not for the, oh, they need to get shots to get better, but just if they're only out there shooting two shots a game, I mean, two threes per, you know, 36 minutes or whatever, there's just not a lot of value of that, even if they're making it. So it's good to see, you know, Niang take four of them in 11 shots. It's good to see Elijah Hughes having like 16 three-point attempts per 36 minutes or something crazy. So it's good to see these bench players being willing just to chuck up these threes when they get the shots and not be hesitant or worried about, oh, you know, shot selection, this or that. Because the Jazz generate these good three-point looks, and these guys need to take the shots when they get a chance, and they're doing that. Completely agree. Now, let's look at Rudy Gobert. I don't think we need to talk about him a whole lot because, like we've said, when he struggles, he's still a top 10 center in the league. He just goes from being a top two center to a top 10. That's all right. Last night, four points, 10 rebounds. He was two of seven from the field. His field goal percentage has really struggled on this road trip. And as I was watching the game, I was noticing last night because I've been trying to figure out why he's struggling so much. And it seems to me like teams are getting a lot more physical with Gobert, not just at the basket, but everywhere on the floor. They're pushing him on the the pick and roll. They're bodying him up and preventing him from getting the clean roll to the basket. They're just getting him outside of his comfort zone in a lot of ways. And I think it's leading to part of his struggles. And then last night, I think part of the issue was just the fact that JaVale McGee was able to work him for a couple baskets early in the game, and Rudy has this pride factor that he wants to go back at his man, and sometimes it can be to his detriment. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, offensively, he's not been good. This is the first time in his entire career outside his rookie season they've had a negative relative true shooting percentage. It's down under league average because he's not making his free throws super well, and he just this road trip, he shot like 45 or something, or even worse percent from the field. It hasn't been great. But as you mentioned, he's looked great defensively. He's just had a few mental errors. It could just be, hey, I want to try some new stuff early in the season against some bad teams. Whatever it is, I'm not worried about it long term, but hopefully it does get fixed a little bit. Back to the Rudy Gobert we know, specifically offensively with his self-awareness and getting lots of dunks and easier layups and overcoming maybe some physicality if that's what's causing the issues. As I said, putting it on the shelf, not worried about it, but not a great road trip for Gobert despite how amazing he was defensively in multiple games. Okay, last thing we have from this game recap is the Jazz beat the Cavaliers 117-87. Tonight's game postponed. All right, now Jazz fans, I know that if we don't have a game, 
it's we're kind of lost. What do we do each day? I don't know. I, I'm probably just going to take a nap. But let me talk about what the perceived benefits of this postponed game could be. So we were on a seven-game road trip. Obviously, it gets canceled. So Jazz come home last night. They get home about 48 hours earlier than they would have, maybe 36 hours earlier than they would have. They're going to have two full days off. And just the way everything is going in the league, the, the fast pace of games being played, I think that having this game postponed, even though the Wizards were going to be without Thomas Bryant and Russell Westbrook and and they they were going to be struggling with injuries and illness the same as the Cavs were last night. I think the overall benefit of some additional rest and getting back home a, another night in their own beds is something that probably long-term is more beneficial to the Jazz than getting that game out of the way. What do you think? Yeah, so the Jazz still have another Eastern Conference road trip in the second half of the season. This is why the NBA only released the first half of the schedule. So I think we still have to go to Boston, and I'm drawing a blank. It's only three. It's Boston... I'll tweet it out. But anyway, we do have an Eastern Conference road trip that we have to go on in the second half of the season. They'll be able to throw that game right in on that road trip, fine and easy. This is why the NBA released half the schedule. But I think it's nice to have a couple days off. And as I've said on Twitter a couple times, the Jazz are coming back to the Mountain Time Zone for 10 straight games, which is a franchise record. Being in a time zone that only has the Jazz, Nuggets, and the Suns half the year um, makes it super difficult to travel. You're traveling all the time, not only miles-wise, but even when you go on a, to play the Lakers, Clippers, Blazers, those teams, you're moving a time zone. Even when you go to play the Thunder, Spurs, Mavericks, you're going to move a time zone. There's 13 teams in the Eastern Conference time zone, and we have two and a half in our time zone. So coming home for 10 straight games without having to move time zones should be huge for the Jazz to kind of rest, reset, hope we pick up some easier wins, get up on the standings. We're tied for second right now, but the second quarter of our schedule is just brutal. So you need to take care of business these next 10 games and really set the tone for the rest of the season of, we're going to be a top three team and fight for a top three seed instead of trying to play catch-up. So nice to have a couple extra days off and reset and we'll go into this next stretch of the schedule. And Jazz are going to be next in action. This will be Friday night back home at the Viv. They're taking on Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Hawks dealing with a lot of injuries right now as well, so honestly not sure who's going to be playing for them. That tip-off will be at 7 o'clock, and I'm definitely looking forward to that one. McCade, where can they find you on social media? That is at McCadePA, that's You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at BPriest24, that's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. And if you like what you're hearing from Home Court Press, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the show so more people can find it. Programming note for you, we were going to record our weekly recap later this afternoon on Wednesday, but we've decided to push that back to Thursday morning, so stay tuned for that one. We'll make sure and have that out probably by maybe noon tomorrow and you can listen to McCade and I as we recap the Jazz and the NBA in the last week last thing as we always do take note